Well, thanks very much, Scott. Good evening, everyone. It's really good to see you all. Thank you all for coming. Uh, As Scott mentioned, this is the fourth in our series of studies focusing on the feasts of the Lord. If you have one of the leaflets for this series, which you might have got on your way in tonight or uh, over these weeks, and you've taken a look inside at the timeline of these festivals throughout the year, you'll probably have noticed a big gap in the middle. Between the springtime and the autumn, there was a long stretch without any feasts at all. The first cluster of feasts all took place in the spring. They all happened during the corn harvest. But after Pentecost, which Nick was talking to us about last week, there was a four-month break in the festival cycle. A four-month silence between the end of the corn harvest and the beginning of the grape harvest. And then, all of a sudden, that silence was broken by the sound of trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets is the festival that we're looking at tonight. We're going to read about it in Leviticus chapter 23. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, we're at page 101. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord." We're going to think about this festival in three parts. Firstly, what happened during this feast? Secondly, why did they have to keep this festival every year? Why was it so important? And thirdly, what does all of this have to do with us tonight? How does the New Testament apply these truths to Christians? So firstly, what happened during this feast Well, the Bible doesn't tell us as much about trumpets as it does about some of the other festivals. We only only have a very basic description. It says that on the first day of the seventh month, the nation had to blow trumpets. Probably the whole day long, from sunrise to sunset. And the kind of trumpet they used was a shofar, or a ram's horn, the same kind that David showed us tonight. That was a traditional trumpet that was used during those days. It's described as a day of solemn rest. They weren't to do any of the work that they normally did. They were to take time on that day to focus on God instead. And as part of that, they brought offerings. The book of Numbers says that they had to bring him a burnt offering, one bull, one ram, seven male lambs, a grain offering of flour and oil, a male goat, and a drink offering, probably a cup of wine. But the core of this festival was blowing the trumpets. And that's really all that the Bible tells us. So why was this so important? And what did all of this really mean? Secondly, let's look at why they had to do this every year. If you look throughout the Old Testament, trumpets were always used as a signal 
of some kind, almost like an alarm system. Sometimes they signaled that a battle was coming or that danger was approaching or they were used to assemble all the people together at various times for different reasons. A trumpet was a good way of getting their attention and rousing them into action, as we saw tonight. Imagine leaving your toast in for too long and the smoke alarm goes off in your house when you're least expecting it. It really wakens you up, doesn't it? And that's what the trumpet was for to waken the people up. But what did this particular trumpet mean? What was it that it was trying to draw their attention to? Leviticus isn't explicit about it, but the clue is in the time of year when the trumpet was blown. Trumpets were blown every new moon at the beginning of every month to mark a new beginning. But on this particular new moon, The first day of the seventh month, it was a different kind of call. And it signaled that several different things were about to happen. Firstly, it signaled that it was the end of one agricultural year and the beginning of another. The corn harvest was over and the grape harvest had begun. In Judaism, this day is called Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year or New Year's Day. And secondly, it also marked the beginning of the new festival cycle. The final three festivals were all about to take place in this seventh month, all in quick succession, one after the other. It was announcing that the most sacred month in the Jewish calendar had come. But blowing trumpets was more than just an alert to remind everybody what time of year it was. Leviticus also describes it as a memorial. And a memorial commemorates something. A memorial marks a specific occasion from the past. The trumpet was calling them to look back. But what were they looking back to? Well, notice how God describes the sound that they had to make. It was a blast of trumpets. It wasn't a nice, melodious sound. It wasn't something that would fit in well with the brass section of an orchestra, and you certainly wouldn't hear it in the Crescent Church Band. It was a blast. Literally, the word is a shout. A big, brash, noisy shout of trumpets. Something that you could hear across the whole length and breadth of the land. And that kind of blaring shout took them back to a pivotal moment in their national relationship with the Lord, when that same kind of blast had sounded. A moment that was so important that it always had to be remembered. We read about it in Exodus chapter 19. It was right after they came out of Egypt, when God appeared on Mount Sinai to give Israel the law. This is what it says. It says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, Because the Lord had descended on it in fire. 
The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down to Mount Sinai, to the top of the mountain. This was the moment when the Lord invited Israel into a covenant relationship to make an agreement with him, to come and be his people. At the blast of a trumpet, he was coming to covenant with them, inviting them to leave their old lives behind and make a new beginning. So they left their tents and assembled as one nation to the foot of this mountain where the Almighty had manifested himself in this spectacular revelation of smoke and fire. Imagine the excitement they must have felt. Imagine the fear. Imagine the sense of awe as they approached the creator of heaven and earth for themselves. At that place, they had agreed to be God's people. They had agreed to always do everything that the Lord commanded. And that event was inscribed into their national memory. It was a day that could never be forgotten. It was their new beginning. So every year, that very same shout, that very same blast, reminded them that they were a people under covenant. It reminded them that they had accepted all the responsibilities that came with it. And it also reminded them how over the years that had passed, they'd all failed. Of course they had. They were only human. They'd fallen far short of fulfilling their obligation. They had failed to do everything the Lord commanded because of the sin inside them. In all sorts of ways, large and small, individually and corporately, inside their hearts and out in the open, they hadn't kept up their part of the bargain. But of course, God knew that from the very beginning. He knew that sin would never allow them to keep his perfect standard. So in grace and in mercy and in love, he made a way for all of those sins to be forgiven. Only a few days later, on the 10th day of that same month, the biggest day of the year was coming. The day of atonement, which we'll find out more about next week. And on the day of atonement, the high priest, God's representative, would come straight into his presence and make right for the nation's sins over that past year. It would be a day of personal and national repentance. Whenever the people would mourn and grieve over their failure, whenever they would come to find forgiveness for all that they had done to break the covenant. So while this trumpet pointed their eyes back to the covenant that they couldn't keep, it also focused them ahead to this great day when God would give them the solution. And they would have to prepare themselves for that day. They would have to prepare themselves for coming before God again. So that trumpet was a shout to waken them up. 
This trumpet was God's alarm clock. Between the first day and the tenth day of that month, as they looked backward and forward, God wanted them also to look inward. He wanted them to personally examine themselves. He wanted them to ask themselves, in what ways have I failed over this past year? In what ways have I been getting it wrong? Many of these festivals that we've been looking at were happy times. Some of them were huge celebrations, but not trumpets. The trumpet wasn't the Jewish equivalent of Big Ben striking at 12 at the start of a new year, followed by fireworks and cheering and kissing strangers under the mistletoe. This was all about doing what none of us like to do. It was all about recognizing personal sin. It was all about solemn self-inspection. I'm a lettings agent, as most of you know. And part of my job involves inspecting the private rental properties that we manage. After a tenant has been renting a house for a certain period of time, we'll go in and check the place out to make sure that they're keeping it okay to make sure that they are keeping up what they agreed to when they signed their tenancy agreement. And trust me, I have seen some sites. And no one likes mid-tenancy inspections. Whenever we rented, we had someone inspecting our house every three months. It used to drive me mad. No one likes someone coming in and snooping around their house. But inspections are essential if a tenancy is going to continue. Because inspections always show up problems that might need to be addressed. For example, if someone's let the back garden grow into a jungle, or the walls are all covered in crayon, or if the bedrooms have been painted black, those things have to be put right by the person living there if the tenancy is going to continue. And that's what God, in a sense, was calling Israel to do at this time of year. That first day of the month began what will become known over the centuries as the 10 days of awe, or the 10 days of repentance. 10 days of inspecting their hearts, of recognizing their shortcomings in the light of Sinai's covenant, and committing themselves to leaving their sin behind and making a new start. The Gospels tell us about another time that God came down to a mountain to covenant with mankind. And this time, he didn't come to Mount Sinai. He came to a mountain just outside Jerusalem. He didn't come this time in a powerful revelation. He came as a man. He came as one of us. He didn't come this time giving the law He came to be nailed to a cross by his hands and feet like the lowest and most shameful lawbreaker for something he hadn't done. The people standing around Calvary didn't stand off in wonder and awe. They stood off in disdain. Moses could call out to God from Sinai and God answered him in thunder. But for the Lord Jesus, heaven stayed silent. There was no trumpet sound for him. 
Just a lonely voice asking, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, we know why he was forsaken. Because he had come to deal with our sin once and for all. By taking the blame and the punishment for it. God's son came down to Calvary to covenant with you. And if you're not a Christian tonight, the Lord Jesus offers you complete forgiveness and he offers you a whole new beginning. If you ask him into your heart and into your life, he will make an agreement with you that he will never break. He will give you eternal life. But of course, even when we do accept them, it doesn't mean that we never make mistakes. Those of us who are under that new covenant of Calvary don't always, always keep up our part of the bargain either, do we? We are all still prone to sin in our own lives. As Christians, our covenant with the Lord today is very different from the old one that Israel had. We don't follow commandments written in stone. But we do have his word and his law written on our hearts. And he has given us his Holy Spirit to help us live by that. But all of us still fall short. We all think things and say things and do things that we know God doesn't like. We all trip up. We can all fall into bad habits. We can all forget that we are his people. We can all get lazy. We can all become spiritually drowsy at times. But the Apostle Paul would remind us, just like he reminded the Corinthian church, that you're not your own. You were bought with a price. In other words, we need to waken up. We are a people of his own possession. We have been purchased. We have been redeemed. The idea is that a change of ownership has taken place. Which means that as Christians, we have obligations to our new master. Our redeemed lives are designed to glorify God, not to glorify ourselves. So Paul would also say how important it is that each of us examine ourselves. He puts it like this. He says, judge yourselves truly. Like Israel at this time of year went back in their hearts to Sinai and personally took their stand at the foot of that mountain and judged their own lives. Each of us, in the same way, have to go back to the foot of Calvary where he took our sin. And we have to ask ourselves, are we living worthy of the cross? Are we living as people purchased by the blood of the Lamb? Or do we still live as if we belong to ourselves? Are we still living as if he has no say whatsoever over what we do? And who we spend our time with? And what we watch on TV? And what we read? in what we post on social media, in our choice of relationships. I wonder, do our lives say, I belong to Christ? Or do they say, I belong to me? 
If we forget to bring our hearts back to Calvary, daily life has a way of blinding us to who we are in the Lord. Can I encourage all of us, myself included, to make it a matter of spiritual discipline every day, to take time to return to the cross. Even for a moment or two every day to stop what we're doing and meditate on Calvary. Just to let our minds be taken up with what happened there. Now, I know that's hard to do, especially if you have a busy job and a young family to take care of when there's barely a minute to sit down all day, let alone meditate on God. But even just for one or two moments in the car on the way to work, or during lunch, or on the bus, or when you have a quiet minute at your desk. You don't have to cross your legs and close your eyes and chant. Just think about God's Son. When we don't do that, we can start to get very blasé about sin, as if it doesn't really matter what we do because we're going to heaven anyway. Well, consider again tonight what Christ went through because of your sin. The fire and smoke and quaking at Mount Sinai that made Israel tremble in fear were nothing compared to what Christ stepped into when he endured God's wrath for you. That sin that we might be letting ourselves away with, he bore the cost of it. If we forget the cost to him, then we forget how serious it is to keep on sinning. Tonight, can I encourage all of us to carry out an inspection on our hearts in light of the cross. But let's also examine ourselves in light of what's to come. Much like Israel, we don't just look back, but we also look ahead. And Paul tells us in his first letter to the Thessalonians what we look ahead to. He tells us that there is also a trumpet call for us. So thirdly and finally, let's see what the New Testament has to say about trumpets. The New Testament has lots of references to trumpets, but there's just one particular trumpet I would like us to think about for a few minutes before we close. This is what Paul says to a group of Christians in Thessalonica, to give them assurance about what's going to take place in the future. He says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. This trumpet call will one day signal the return of Christ for his church. It will signal that he is coming down from heaven to meet us face to face and to take us to be with him as his people forever. On Sunday mornings, we're studying Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, which is all about living in the light of Christ's return. And I would really encourage you to come along to that series and to listen back on the past few weeks online. It goes into much more detail on this subject than we have time for tonight. But the anticipation 
of this trumpet call for us should be a great encouragement for all of us. Because sometimes when life isn't easy and we don't know why things are happening to us, heaven can seem very silent. We can easily feel forgotten about. Just like that festival cycle, it can feel like our own lives have this huge silent gap. But take encouragement that one day that silence will be broken. The trumpet will sound. He is coming again for us. Which means that we have to get ready. It means that we need to waken up. Because we don't know exactly when he'll appear. So the question for us is, how will he find us when he comes? When he comes, will we be living worthy of the cross of Christ? Or will we be doing our own thing instead? Will we be living as his people? Or living like people who have never encountered him at all? Will we be fulfilling our covenant obligations or breaking them? This is what the Apostle John says in his first letter. He says, abide in him. Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Imagine for a minute that you're 15 years old. You've got the house to yourself for the afternoon. Your parents are away out somewhere, and it's brilliant. You have the full run of the place. Before they left, they told you to make sure that your room was tidied and hoovered before they got back, and you said, yeah, of course, no problem. But of course, you've got far better things to be getting on with. You'll worry about all of that later, because they probably won't be back for ages. And then, all of a sudden you hear the car pulling up on the driveway. And just like that, it's too late. You don't have time to make the bed or clear up the mess on the floor. You don't have time to run the Dyson over the carpet. Your dad walks through the door when you were least expecting him. How do you feel when he comes in and you haven't done what he's left you to do? You just want the ground to swallow you up. How will we feel when the Lord returns for us if we haven't been living the way that he's told us to? Here's a very simple litmus test for how to live as a Christian. Ask yourself, would I be happy for the Lord to come back right now and find me doing this? John doesn't mean that we should put everything on hold and stop living our lives. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying, waking up. Waking up. Because Christ is on his way. Now Israel knew when their trumpet sound would be. They knew generally every year how long they would have to wait. But we don't. We're not told how long it will be between Pentecost and our trumpet call. And because of that, we can all take this covenant a bit too lightly. We can all be very casual about living in the light 
of the new covenant. We can think to ourselves, sure, I can worry about it later. We are going to appear before the living God. Whenever Israel faced that prospect in the wilderness, their reaction was not casual. Their reaction was not to take it lightly. Their reaction was holy fear. Reverence and awe. Sometimes all of us could use a bit more reverence and awe. Allow the reality of appearing before the matchlessly holy God to sink down into your mind. Spend time meditating on that truth. That will soon waken us up from spiritual drowsiness. Can I suggest that every day for us should be a day of awe and repentance? Reverently remembering the cross, anticipating his return for us, and repenting accordingly. God isn't hard on us whenever we come to him and confess our sin. He's not hard on us whenever we say, I've messed up. He's not hard on us when we come to him and give ourselves over to him. He is the God of the new beginning. Each day can be a fresh start with the Lord Jesus. So let's determine tonight to leave our sin behind and to keep abiding in him so that when he appears, we might have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame. If you don't know him yet, if you haven't put your trust in him for yourself, he has got a new beginning for you. Make sure that you trust him before that trumpet call comes because Revelation talks about another trumpet that marks the coming of God's final judgment on the sin of the world. And the Lord Jesus wants you to be saved from that judgment. That's why he took God's judgment for you. So just trust him tonight. And if you have trusted him, let's waken up. Let's do the difficult thing and look into our hearts with honesty. Let's judge ourselves truly as we look back to Calvary and look ahead to that day when he is coming. Let's not just press the snooze button and roll back over and close our eyes. May the Lord help all of us to leave our sin behind every day and make a new beginning with him.